0: Darkly Splendid Abodes, the official podcast of Toronto Thelema, exploring, if you will, practical philosophy, from science and the workings of the mind, to spirituality, esotericism, and magic. Stooping down, dipping my wings, I came unto the darkly splendid abodes. Welcome to another Deep Dip, where we will be exploring a particular book more fully. This time we'll examine a chapter from Eight Lectures on Yoga, a book by Aleister Crowley compiled from a series of lectures he gave in 1937 Era Vulgaris. The book is divided into two sections, Yoga for Yahoos and Yoga for Yellowbellies. We'll be looking at Lecture 4 of the first part, which focuses on the practices of asana and pranayama. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the
1: law. Love is the law, love under will. All right, today we are talking about yoga. The uh, fourth lecture from uh, Yoga for Yahoos. (laughs) (laughs) What? What am I doing? What is that radio voice I'm using? By uh, uh, Coming Aleister in at Crowley. number four. Are these transcriptions of real lectures he gave? Because a his irreverence, question. it's so scripted.
0: I know, I know. It, it, there's like the one point where he's like, in a civilized country such as this, and then in brackets... Mm-hmm. Uh, uproarious laughter or something like that (laughs) okay i get what you're doing there but i doubt that actually happened (laughs) i'm trying
1: to imagine who would give a lecture like this there are comedians who are this spontaneous and this literate there's a guy from newfoundland whose name i don't remember but he tells these long these long stories that are stacked up in this kind of like deep way with you know many beautiful syllables (laughs) Uh, and uh, and and people used to be able to orate like this in a way they can't now even in the 70s like Mm -hmm. daddy Trudeau was much more eloquent than our (laughs) our degraded Trudeau that we have now (laughs) Um, so it's it's possible it's just it's tough to imagine someone giving a lecture on a, on a technical subject like this and then spontaneously coming out with so many of these uh, these nuanced turns of, of phrase, unless he had, you know, written it and memorized it and performed it like a play. But that seems like the wrong way to teach a class on a technical <laughs> subject. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, it was a process
0: of just transcribing it and then editing it after mm-hmm. the fact. But uh, So we were talking about eight lectures on yoga. By Alistair Crowley, and uh, specifically, as you mentioned, uh, the fourth lecture in Yoga for Yahoos. It's a two-part book with uh, Yoga for Yahoos and Yoga for Hippies. Was it? Yellow bellies. Yellow
1: bellies. Yellow bellies. Those of the bellies yellow. Speaking of slurs, we didn't realize were racial. <laughs> <laughs> you are talking off can off mic about uh, about being surprised by times when hey that's that that. Uh, colloquial turn of phrase it, it turns out that that's racist <laughs> <laughs> growing up in who the 90s it, you had no know? idea about these things uh and you know it's not racist that i was shocked by heebie-jeebies that is not uh, gives me the heebie-jeebies heebie-jeebies i spent a lot of time <laughs> looking this up and it is not anti-jewish in any way oh thank god uh, they, yeah so you can still say you can still say heebie-jeebies uh, you probably can't sing that Louis Armstrong heebie-jeebies because that would be a different kind of cultural appropriation. <laughs> but uh, but the the but you can still get freaked out by stuff and be really cute. Wow, about that it. really gives me um
0: yeah. But we're starting with Yahoo's, which Not, I think uh, is fine. Yeah, I mean, I as far as the term Yahoo goes, the uh, the only thing we'd uh, be running into is the fact that probably nobody ever uses that as a term for. Uh, a foolish person anymore. It's just purely a search engine.
1: Did he invent the... Is this the first time this shows up in popular culture? Because there's that whole, like... uh... You know, religion for dummies books, architecture for oh, dummies Oh, I see what books. you're saying. Is, 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 this, <laughs> is this the, the first genesis four of dummies? <laughs> <laughs> Um Good question. Uh, I think in the 14th century, one of those uh, Chinese philosophers did something about battle for cowards. But in, in English, I think this is the first one.
0: This is, we have lectures one, two, and three ahead of this one. Um, which we are not covering at the moment, but maybe
1: we'll dip, we'll sort of reference or whatever if if ne- if need be. So the most important things in the previous lectures are yama and niyama. Uh, yama is things not to do, and niyama is things to do. And Crowley sort of tries to hand wave a lot of this as being empty moralism or religious moralism, and so. Um, yama is um for him uh don't do things that interfere with your yoga practice don't get too excited and too stressed out you know try to keep a a focused relaxed disciplined existence or rather an existence that is appropriate to the cultivation of self-discipline and niyama for him means uh find your true will do it and do nothing else So, um, this is in the beginning of this lecture when he says, uh, last week we were able to go away feeling we had broken the back of the job, we had got rid of bad ways, bad wives, and bad weather, and are comfortably installed in the sunshine with no one to bother us, having nothing to do with our, sorry, having nothing to do but our work. Uh, this is what he means, is we've all learned our true will and eliminated inconvenient uh, uh, distractions. So it does seem like uh, things extraneous to the, the actual work proper. Yes. And the reason it takes three lectures to do that is that traditionally yamas are incredibly prescriptive. It's like, you shouldn't drink because it's evil. You shouldn't kill people because it's evil. Uh, don't receive gifts is a weird, like, because it's evil. Mm-hmm. Don't uh, uh, borrow money because it's evil. And the point is that uh, these things aren't evil. They just tend to uh, inhibit one's ability to practice Mm -hmm. and he'll say that explicitly in this lecture as well in a in a a more truncated form but if uh, you want to kind of get that out of the way that's where that's our starting place that's why we can be comfortably installed in the sun because we we sort of know what life we need to leave and because we've abandoned the idea of moralism that goes with that so we don't feel like guilty about trespasses we just know we need to sit down and get to work
0: yeah there's a nice it's a nice setup to things really so it's definitely worthwhile even with that sort of summary uh summary (laughs) (laughs) it's uh it kind of like sets you up for the idea that we're taking uh more of a essentially scientific approach really or a a Objective approach to it. Mm -hmm. So we're not getting caught up in the morality of things. That doesn't mean that we're uh, Completely amoral. It means that morals don't really come into it.
1: Yeah, what is the subject of this fourth lecture? Uh, Asana and pranayama Uh, Asana means at least in one of Crowley's definitions uh, Whatever is comfortable and easy so you can you, you sit still comfortably and easily for a long time. Uh, in this lecture he'll say that it actually means control of all the physical forces, um, control and, and restraint, so you bring all of the physical forces down to the most simple possible rhythm so that you aren't distracted by the physical body. And pranayama means control of energies or something. There are lots of different energies in the body, Uh, According to Hindu philosophy, the most important ones, Crowley says, are the Ida and the Pingala, uh, which are the channels, the lunar channel, that comes up and down kind of the left side of the body, behind the lung and beside the spine, and the Pingala, the solar channel, that's on the right-hand side of the body. Between these is a Shushumna, which is a channel that isn't usually used, but the reason it's there is um, to take kundalini from the base of the spine up into the brain um, one of the ways to unlock this is by doing pranayama pranayama, which is the alternate nostril breathing that Crowley recommends um, usually pranayama is control of the breath but here we mean something more like control of the subtle the subtle energies And again, Crowley will say, most of these are not important. What's important (laughs) is to figure out how to settle into your practice. Uh, You regularize your breathing. So by regularizing your posture, um, you minimize physical distractions. And then by regularizing your breathing, you sort of start to organize the physiology on a subtler plane, your respiratory system, your cardiac system. And this, uh, in turn, continues to settle the brain, settle the brain, settle the brain, so that you can work. Uh, Thank you very much. That's been been our show for today. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I overdid it, Darren.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, that's all good. Now we all know the history of uh, yoga. Um, (laughs) It's made up of the words prana and yama, which is probably painfully obvious, but at the same time, it's kind of handy. I always like to break the words down themselves, because you get yama again
1: from... The first couple of chapters. Oh, that's right. Not to do. Mm-hmm. So, or, or... Or control. Or to, or to yeah, to, con- or at to least control, to the... restrain, Yeah, to organize uh, the energy. And prana energy. being that energy. And that's actually,
0: maybe that makes it easier to uh, get at the term prana and why it's different from breath
1: control, per se. I think prana does mean breath. I don't think there's another word for... Now, is it breath uh, in the same breathing. sense as, like,
0: spirit comes from the word for breath as much as it comes it as it alludes to what we think of as spirit and that sort of thing. And ruach and uh um pneuma.
1: Yeah, the way we're taught it in Thelema is that these are kind of interchangeable concepts, or right? Connected and that, in some way. Uh, yeah. that God breathes into man's nostrils to uh to to sort of insert the soul. So breath is tied to um, spirit, that, that breath and spirit are the same thing. And uh, and so I don't know for sure, but I, I I do think that in the Sanskrit language, prana means breath, actual breath, but it also refers to the the energy, the subtle energy that's controlled when we control our mm-hmm. breath. So may, my understanding is that those actually are interrelated, not interrelated concepts, but adjacent Adjacent similar concepts. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say one thing uh, is related. It is in a genealogical relationship to the other thing, but that they, they both exist as similar ideas they're still they're both in the uh, same universe Holy as <laughs> <Christ>. <laughs> this is going to be fun for you today oh, edit, edit, i edit. am on fire
0: <laughs> um i'll just slap it all on in the raw yeah, just uh, cut yeah. all my parts and just, <laughs> to use yours. just me, me <laughs> repeating the good parts of what you did. yeah and then, then <laughs> and just sounding like me. i don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> i think
1: uh we can disclose a little bit because one of the things that one of our unspoken rules for these uh, conversations or undisclosed rules is that we didn't want to sort of approach the text as experts. We wanted to um, Mm -hmm. uh, sort of just do like a deep reading of what's in front of us um, to show that that's possible and helpful and interesting because so many people who are doing um, secondary literature on Thelema are approaching it as experts and kind of giving you things that distract from the core texts but this is one where you know i think that the text itself is is pretty simple and the deep reads would actually be more helpful in understanding the jokes than in understanding (laughs) the text the the text the 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 instructions are fairly basic so um i think if we're going to get a real conversation out of this um it might be helpful to disclose some of our experience with mm-hmm. doing and these I think exercises. That's, that's actually one of the nice things about
0: this subject matter as well, is because I don't find that people tend to talk about their personal experiences with such exercises as this. They tend to just tell you what you're supposed to be doing mm-hmm. and what you're supposed to get out of it, if they even touch on what you're supposed to get out of it. A lot of the time, it just seems like they just say, you're, this is what you're supposed to be doing, mm-hmm. and moving on. A really interesting way that Crowley talks about this process, as you mentioned, uh, is relating it to rhythm, Mm -hmm. which is a really interesting way of thinking about it, a really helpful way of thinking about it, Um, especially coming from a background of music, for sure, but, I mean, we're not really talking about musical rhythm, per se. What we're talking about, as Crowley says at one point, for instance, we're stilling the body as much as we possibly can, and then we're stilling by making the breath rhythmic, and we're kind of slowing it down and and doing these things to it and we're not actually doing anything of the sort of uh stopping the breath but we're tricking ourselves in a sense into thinking we have mm-hmm. in m- by means of uh that rhythm uh
1: that's right it's interesting to realize that how how dynamic relaxation is mm-hmm. um that That we think of just like laying there and doing nothing. And there's these progressive relaxation exercises you can do where you start with the scalp and then try to relax the brow and try to relax the cheekbones. And you, you, I don't know what other people's experiences is, but I just feel the stress kind of moving through my body. the mm-hmm. amount of focus that's required to release the muscles in my forehead, for example. yeah, using that that using that focus adds tension somewhere else <laughs> somewhere else in the system. And so the idea of, um, of, of relaxation as simplifying movement instead of stillness, because like you can't stop your heart or whatever. Yeah. And when you do, you have uh, rigor mortis and then some other process of tension and relaxation (laughs) uh the 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 body goes into shock and there's a post-death stress that uh that that yeah it's a process death is a process it's not like a single incident so uh so so yeah allowing some allowing for the 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 possibility of of relaxation in movement is kind of um a profound thing to think about when you're working with, like, figuring out how how your weight works and where your body is and stuff.
0: And it's also nice because the idea of thinking of it in terms of rhythm is nice because it gives you some context for thinking about uh, some of the other subject matter here in terms of what our goals are with yoga, like escaping uh, from... The constant suffering that life uh, imposes upon us. So, like for instance, um, he talks about like once at a certain point with your asana practice, you, when you really lock into it, you uh, have a freedom from pain that is profound, and you suddenly realize that you've been suffering constantly throughout life. And I think there's a truth to that. Uh, I think there's. Um, I think that's why people fall into habits of using alcohol or drugs or things like, uh, that help them to numb themselves. There's an inocular inoculation. That's not the right word, but a numbing mm-hmm. quality to these kinds of things that helps to, and I really noticed that like, I haven't, I stopped drinking a few years back, but I remember noticing that because of, uh, um, getting into a habit of drinking like three days a week or whatever, mm-hmm. and it started to. I started to recognize. Okay, this is like uh, what part of what this does is numb, and give me an escape from some of the the pain that I'm not even really that aware of feeling a lot of the time.
1: Well, so for Nietzsche, both alcohol and religion are opiates of the masses. Mm-hmm. All right, and so if you would stop doing those things. Uh, being religious and consuming alcohol, um, then you would be more aware of the problems of your life that are in front of you. And uh, that that's painful to be aware of your own problems, but then you'd be maybe more inclined to do something about it. And so if people were less religious and less inclined to drink, um, they may be more fulfilled by pursuing activities and Uh, yeah i guess actually that was
0: kind of what i was getting at was uh, the rhythm aspect Uh, outside of yoga itself you start to be able to like once you be once you start to recognize rhythm as uh, causing a sort of calming assuaging kind of effect then you start to recognize that that's a lot of a lot of what we do in normal life, your normal thoughts and that sort of thing, are all trying to escape and distract yourself. And a lot of them are based on rhythms of of habits and that sort of thing that take you away from having to be present with the pain that you're you
1: know feeling at any given time. Um, there's a way that people talk about yoga in terms of helping you manage your stress, helping you relax, helping you. Uh, develop a work-life balance by sort of breaking up your day or something you know you wake up in the morning and you do your routines before you go to work and so that gives you something to do with your own time before you go to work so you feel like you have your own (laughs) life and you feel maybe a little bit healthier your body's more organized Um, and I don't want to fall into that kind of trap of talking about it that way because I think that it's wrong in terms of like why we practice yoga uh, at least as as thelema people (laughs) Um, but i also think it's wrong in terms of what yoga actually does because cultivating any sort of discipline is stressful and then the the kind of stages of awareness that come as you practice add a sort of disquieting I think a disquieting element to the system, you know, if you... Um, uh, I think I told a story on the podcast a couple of days ago about the um, the guy who wanted, you know, take away the second Kriya because I'm having such a profound existence of God that I cannot even deliver the mail, <laughs> you know. So uh, the intervention of the yoga experience in into life is a disruptive experience and so um, if, if people are looking for looking for a, the kind of escape that we're talking about, um, this this is not maybe the right place to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also and it also sort of demeans what's actually going on here. Crowley, very early on in this lecture, we're still on the first page at least of my edition. Reminds us of the motto of the equinox we place no reliance on virgin or pigeon our method is science our aim is religion And this is a notoriously difficult word to define So I'm not going to (laughs) but (laughs) the point is that there's a a, there's going to be a religious element In yoga practice and we have to put that up front so that people are aware with uh, aware of it So it doesn't become covert there's people who do regular just, um, I don't even want to say Hatha yoga exercises, but like Bikram yoga, not not Bikram, uh, what's his name? Uh, BKS Iyengar, like Iyengar inspired Iyengar inspired physical exercises, like the calisthenics school of yoga. They'd end up thinking of themselves as very spiritual people because they do yoga all the time, but mm-hmm. they're not actually doing yoga, they're doing Ayengar calisthenics, <laughs> uh, inspired by... Hatha yoga, so mm-hmm. um, so. Uh, if if you don't acknowledge the religious goals up front, they sneak themselves in later and uh, can be can they, they can be distracting in a number of ways.
0: Yeah, just as a brief aside, elsewhere Crowley points out the uh, etymology of the word religion as coming from ligere, from Latin, which is to bind. So it's kind of uh, he he ties it in pun intended, to the idea of yoga as well, which yoga is, yoga, as he emphasizes,
1: means union. hmm Very good. Yeah. I'm trying to find where he says this kind of explicitly in here. There's a few places where he talks about over-moralizing. Uh, yes, here we go. Uh, let me digress for a moment and brush away one misunderstanding, which is certain to occur to every Anglo-Saxon mind. About the worst inheritance of the emasculate school of mystics is the abominable confusion of thought, which arises from the idea that bodily functions and appetites have some moral implications. So this is this is the thing is, this is the thing is you have preconceptions mm-hmm. about morality. Um, which were cultivated in you by 2,000 years of Christian culture. Um, you believe in the virtue of self sacrifice and charity and, uh, and comporting a life towards other people rather than a life very altruistic. Oriented to, yeah, yeah, altruism, right. You believe in the virtue of altruism. And so if you start doing yoga exercises, uh, you know, this is what he means by, uh, bodily functions, you know, if you start doing yoga exercises, um, and feel good about the exercise you're doing without really, without doing the, the Nietzschean style revaluation of all values, transvaluation, transvaluation of of all values, you're just going to, to believe that you're more and more altruistic, possibly without being more and more altruistic, but Mm -hmm. also without understanding the virtue of altruism at all and whether or not that's, um, Mm-hmm. that that that's that's really that helpful so uh um so the point here it's it's religious without being moral as well and so the the question of 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 what we're doing and why um and the fact that it's not for everyone you know mm-hmm. yoga's for everybody no you there are plenty of things you can do you don't need to do yeah. yoga <laughs> there's, there's lots of ways to live a life you don't need to spend hours every day <laughs> Breathing funny. Uh, That um,
0: that goes hand in hand with uh, what he also mentions about like uh, all types of action are wrong by the thesis of this uh, yoga interpretation, which we're only using particular actions because
1: insofar as they help us to attain non-action. So um, after the Second World War, uh, a lot of attempt was made to get objective morality back because philosophers wanted to be able to say um, that concentration camps were just objectively evil. So how do we get evil back? Um, And so, uh, but Thelema lives in this little post-Enlightenment place, but also pre-mainstream 20th century philosophy place where we we were able to understand this thing about moral relativism that some things could be right and wrong for some people and other things right and wrong for other people and that right and wrong are not the same as good and evil Mm. Um, and uh, I think it is true that for all people concentration camps are a bad scene like nobody (laughs) would look at that Uh, Without a a large amount of cultural programming Mm -hmm. and 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 see this as as somehow beneficial Um, but it's because Individuals with their individual morality all still have sort of some things in common just by virtue of being human so that we don't need to get back our concept of evil to say like, oh, you know, certain things are not preferred, like concentration camps are not Well, I preferred. mean, that's,
0: yeah, that's the thing. It's like, part, that seems like a whole subject in and of itself, of course, but uh, it's the type of thing you, cultural programming is, and not just cultural programming, but just uh, programming of the mob in general mm. is a scary thing and uh it's like uh, it's it's kind of trying to make things too easy by saying that this is an objective evil. We carry this stuff inside of us. Like, you know, in order for uh Romans to uh completely raise Carthage to the ground and kill every living person in that city, like that's you know, takes a serious <laughs> some serious uh commitment. And uh that's I would never say that that was a good thing, but it's something that humans carry around with them the capability of doing that just like lynch mobs uh actually believe that they're doing something right and a lot of the time after the fact they still believe that they would do it again and they they believe in what they did that's disgusting it happens it still happens it's still part of us you know
1: yeah i mean victory in war is better than defeat in war but if you attain victory someone else suffers defeat yeah um so um and maybe war is just an unjustifiable thing um, yeah, but uh, individuals can still have conflicts that can still be stressful for those individuals and that's okay but the the point of moral the moral relativism thing is that depending on what you're trying to attain certain things are helpful and certain things are mm-hmm. unhelpful and so it's not that all actions are bad <laughs> um, <laughs> But it's that if you're trying to do yoga, any, any activity that isn't yoga is going to tend to take you away from success in yoga. So simplify, 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 simplify um, in terms of getting into the – And this is – yeah, this is also about context as
0: well. This is one of the things that always gets forgotten about when these – in this kind of subject – uh, when it comes to morals or anything like that, there's a tendency to think that th- your your way of thinking or approaching things is supposed to always be a blanket to cover every every circumstance and that sort of thing. But uh, I would say as Thelemites, we have uh, a particular approach to yoga and a particular mindset that we take on and a particular set of tools that we apply. Uh, and then when we're going into a magical exercise, we're going to approach it in a different way with a different set of uh, uh approaches and tools and and mentalities and that sort of thing so like with yoga we are aiming for some kind of cessation because we are trying to stop physical movement we are trying to create rhythms that um stop all the distractions that we're used to in our normal functions and that sort of thing so that we can attain to deeper states uh that is appropriate that is good in this circumstance and things like distractions or movements would be evil in the sense of Um, being at odds with our purpose. Whereas we go into a magical situation or just a mundane situation and the the situation is much different. We're applying different tools and different
1: approaches. Um, Crowley says here, the goal of yoga, we are to unite the subject and object of consciousness in the ecstasy, which soon turns, as we find out later on, into the more sublime state of indifference and then annihilate both the party of the first part, aforesaid, and the party of the second part, <laughs> aforesaid. Uh, and, uh, you know, then there's this thing about cocktail parties, <laughs> <that> once you <laughs> annihilate both parties, uh, many other sort of phantoms arrive that also need to be uh, annihilated. People can apply to our uh, discussion about uh, Lieber 150 mm-hmm. um, to, to learn more about this. Subject and object are going to be confusing for people because for Freud, object always means the mother. (laughs) And (laughs) there are a large number of people who are going to think in terms of these psychological terms in terms of like, you know, reconciling the, uh, uh, you know, trying to become a subject as you mature and then uh, having all these objects of, Desire that are all substitute mother substitutes, but Crowley just means in the simplest way uh, The subject of the sentence being the the Mm. operator the object of the sentence being the thing operated on and then the verb So like I meditate upon a red triangle I am the subject the red triangle is the object and then we destroy each other by uniting and uh, continue to destroy uh, other objects by uniting with other objects Why would we want to do this? Crowley says um, in in the paper on duty that one of our duties is to ever expand the domain of our consciousness or something to become bigger and bigger and in a a more profound relationship to the universe. So yoga accomplishes this by by doing the process of yoga. We're we're consuming and being consumed Mm -hmm. by all of these different sort of psychic objects, expanding our Selves, so it becomes fundamental to
0: Selima in Crowley's uh, estimation, of course, and I think this is where Pan as a god comes into play. But I don't want to get too far off topic or anything like that. But.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, Pan being just everything, right? Mm-hmm. Pan uh, when we when we want to say like the Pan op- the Panopticon is like the prison where everything is always seen. Uh, whenever we say everything always we use um we use the the preface pan mm-hmm. so we have uh, like the greek word pan
0: like pan american airlines yeah, or whatever sure. so it's like All covering american everything airlines and it also applies to
1: the uh, satyr yeah. god that's <laughs> right Uh, sit still, stop thinking, shut up, get out. Shut up and get out are too complicated for what we're doing here today. (laughs) So, uh, we just want to deal with sit still and stop thinking. So the, the real work of yoga is mental work. As we said, uniting, um, the meditator with the object being meditated upon. But in, before we do that, we need to eliminate distraction, which we do by, training up some asana. Darren, what's an asana? (laughs) So this is
0: uh, one of the many uh, terms that we get that uh, we have difficulty with, but we're gonna use them anyway, and which is kind of annoying frankly, Uh, and it's just sort of everybody kind of pays lip service to the same sort of process of like, well, there's a lot of clunky, long Sanskrit names that we use, uh, but coming up with the proper English uh, translations is too difficult, so we're just going to continue to use them and make things uh, obscure anyway, which is a shame in my estimation, but I could be wrong. Asana, Asana, however you want to pronounce it, it's basically posture. So it's, it's holding a posture that's apparently um, free and comfortable. I think that's the term.
1: Uh, yes. Uh, I don't think it's in here. I think it's in book four. But uh, here it says control of the muscular system, conscious and unconscious, so that no messages from the body can reach the mind.
0: Mm-hmm. And theoretically, like, I mean, free and comfortable, I'm paraphrasing there, I don't remember the exact wording, but it's, uh, that's kind of at the, the as Crowley mentions in book four, that's kind of based on the results, rather than the actual process of getting there, because the process of getting there is going to be painful.
1: Here he says to start with something that's kind of pleasing, mm-hmm. um, realize that you're going to get cramps, mm-hmm. and keep practicing until you don't get cramps anymore which could take you know weeks or months or whatever of just regular uh, practice Um, and when you break through the other side yes the position once properly trained is like the most comfortable position you could possibly get into yeah Uh, I think in book four it says to start with something uncomfortable because when you're uncomfortable you're more aware of the shape of the body and that these sort of subconscious movements don't occur as easily But whatever you do, you know, whether you find a comfortable posture or find an uncomfortable posture, uh, the discomfort is coming, so don't you worry. Yeah. And I think probably it makes sense, the uncomfortable posture
0: aspect of it, probably more pertains to making sure that it's something that you're just not going to fall asleep in. Because if your comfortable posture is, say, the corpse posture where you're lying down, Chances are it's going to be difficult not to fall asleep or to move and, you know, shift and that sort of thing. So it's nice to find some kind of a posture that requires you to be on your guard. He talks about it being, like, not so much firm and rigid as braced.
1: I've uh, definitely fallen asleep in dragon pose Mm -hmm. on my knees with my butt on my heels, spine straight. it's no fixer. I've also fallen asleep in the new kind of, like, modified supported half lotus pose that i'm using now um uh, you really shouldn't do this work when you're tired but i have a child i'm tired all the time (laughs) we have to do work (laughs) um last time uh we talked darren you were reinvesting in this uh in some of this type of work have you continued to do this semi-daily yes i have michael (laughs) um (laughs) I'm on the fucking radio. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> oh, hi. I didn't see you come in. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah I've, uh, so it's actually about the month mark, I think, now that I uh, since I started reinvesting, as you say. I uh, had gone through a period of, Just trying to figure out what it was I wanted to do, feeling like I'm refreshing my practices and that sort of thing recently. Um, And what I decided to do was, you know what, I'm going to re-engage with Libra E and Libra O and go back to basics. um, Because it's always good to go back to the fundamentals with anything that you're doing. And uh, never to neglect the fundamentals. So um, I've re-engaged with the, uh, the Asana practice and the Pranayama practice. And I've been doing them for the past month. The asana practice, I've copped out and done my favorite pose, the god posture, but okay. I've been very uh, strict about it, and um, it's been developing nicely. It's uh, it is one of those things that it's trying to find the right rhythm for it, because, uh, for instance, you know I'll do either asana in the morning and pranayama in the evening after I get home from work and all that sort of thing, or vice versa. And finding the right the right way to do that that seems to work best for me. As far as a sauna goes, the the difficulty that I find is yeah the the tiredness factor and this kind of you know dozing off and that sort of thing. And especially when it's like we've we're recording this in the summertime in August. It's we've recently been going through some heat waves and whatnot, mm-hmm. and it's the the air quality hasn't been great. And I find that you know you I just get drowsy and that sort of thing so it's finding the best way to counter that which i usually find if i take a little 15 minute nap beforehand if i have the luxury of being able to do that that seems to do the trick and i'm trying to get in the habit of pursuing that a little bit more and i find that doing asana in the evening You know, I probably it would make sense to do it on waking up because you're going to be most refreshed and all that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. But I actually find that that still I tend to be kind of a little bit drowsy in the morning because I haven't had my coffee yet. And that also makes me think that maybe I should uh, attempt to get off of caffeine again because it gives you a different kind of refreshed feeling in the morning. I remember being a lot more vigor invigorated in the morning on waking up. That's you know something I've I've experienced. Not everybody experiences that and that sort of thing, but that might be something I consider.
1: The um, the caffeinated beverages, I think, have a old old history as being connected to religion and one of the reasons people think is that because you know you could have a cup of tea or something uh before you sit down to practice and then you, you wouldn't fall asleep doing repetitive mm-hmm. uh, um mantra work or something like that that the um the, the little bit of stimulant uh keeps you is supposed to keep you connected from mm-hmm. your mind from wandering off uh, and then the opposite of that is is People think also that virtually all yogis use hashish and that this um, predisposes one to sitting still and not doing too many actions and <laughs> and, um, and allows one to be less distracted from from practice. So both things, both the stimulant and the depressant are, are supposed to be supportive of the practice. So, um, you know, maybe you don't want to get into like make it a whole pot of coffee but if you could have Hmm. some tea or something upon waking but i find the same thing it's because um we're used to getting up at seven and having breakfast and going to work so if we want to add an hour of asana practice uh then we get up at six Mm -hmm. and it takes a long time to get used to getting up at six so you're just tired and you just want your body just wants to go back to sleep until seven
0: especially if the first thing you do is just sit quietly for an hour yeah
1: (laughs) uh how how, uh what's coming up physiologically psychologically in terms of breaks or uh or um interesting phenomena anything like notable (laughs) i find that the uh i mean there's how long are you sitting in your
0: posture so I sit in the posture for an hour. Okay. Uh, I initially started with the mentality that I was going to work my way up to an hour. And so I did like 14 minutes the first day. And then I think like uh, however many minutes the second day. and mm-hmm. then. But very quickly I decided, you know what? This is going to suck no matter how long I spend at it. So if I'm going to sit there for 20 minutes uh, cursing every minute of it, I might as well <laughs> sit there for an hour and just you know go balls to the wall. So uh, And that's what I did, and it ended up paying off quite nicely. I do think, like Crowley does actually mention in here something that I took note of that uh, alludes to the idea of working your way up to an hour and then beyond, as opposed to feeling like you have to be doing an hour right out of the gate. But uh, it's. I think that's going to be a matter of individual practice and, and experimentation and that some sort of thing to some extent. However, I do find that for myself, it's just kind of like, you know what, yeah, maybe one or two days testing the water, okay, fine. But like you might as well push it and uh, keep yourself, you know, uh, just try and dive into it instead of making a bigger deal out of it than it needs to be.
1: Uh, I, I always remember this thing because I think it's so funny to just multiply everything by four but beginners should start with half an hour or an hour. Uh, serious practitioners should do four hours 16 hours is too much for most people. <laughs> yeah uh, but I realized recently on a reread that this is a recommendation for pranayama, not mm. for asana there is a little bit more room for people to um, to ramp up to this. Practice Because it is so physically uncomfortable. It's really physically uncomfortable. Here mm-hmm. he says, as he was getting towards the end of his training period to really start to break into having the posture ready, it was taking him a full 10 minutes to like sit up after yeah, he was done yeah to pull his
0: one leg out took him 10 minutes of just very slowly millimeter by millimeter and easing this it out.
1: is a real thing that really happens to people mm-hmm. i people might reading this some some of this stuff that curly writes about yoga seems superlative and like maybe this thing about walking on water like he mm-hmm. never says he can walk on water uh, he never says he can levitate. He just says other people have seen him levitate. But so many of the things he says that seem crazy, like, oh, you know, it, take me, it took me like 15 minutes to get off the ground. That's real. That yeah. really happens. <laughs> it really hurts. You get yeah. these cramps and seizures. Um, I remember doing And it's I, okay.
0: Back in the day, there was a period when I was doing the Dragon Asana. And uh, yeah, that was, that was definitely a thing for sure. And
1: I know that Crowley and um, Jane Wolf both, at time, different times in their life, we're doing the Thunderbolt, which is where you sit on one ankle instead of both ankles. I can't imagine. Like, mm. I've uh, i have tried it for, like, five, ten minutes at a time, and I, I really can't get into the posture <laughs> properly. I can get my left leg, I can get my left heel up against my anus, but I can't get my right heel to cover the pubic bone. Because mm-hmm. um, just my hips won't torque into the right Position And that's okay. Like you're supposed to be practicing and developing these things. Uh, so some amount of, uh, of physical exercise to get fit, get limber, um, is appropriate before you take up a posture. But yeah, I can't imagine like hmm. an hour and 20 minutes in, uh, in, in that Thunderbolt yeah. posture. Yeah, uh, and, the, and then important in here, uh, some advice in here is not to imagine that any particular posture has any sp- particular spiritual mm-hmm. power or significance. So just because you can sit in like the posture associated with some God or something, um, you know, that's nice for you. But it's just a uh, just kind of like an ego boost. It doesn't provide any benefit to practice o- over and above You know, just having literally any posture in which you can sit still in. Yeah. Um, uh, Something else I wanted to say is um, that I spent probably 20 years working with the dragon pose. I I, was taught to me in like a karate class when I was like 14. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, then when I started reading the Crowley stuff. It's something I went back to, uh, in later in high school and back to again in college and then back to again after I took my initiation and then back to again at various points after, you know, having some, some crisis that took me away and coming back. Um, And uh, now I have uh, tendinitis in both legs. There's a thickening of both my Achilles tendons. Uh, And so I've had to change my posture so that I'm not sitting directly on my feet um, because uh, I don't want the tendonitis to become a chronic condition that affects my mobility throughout my whole life. And this is because I have ignored Crowley's advice and come back to it and (laughs) back to it and back to it. Uh, What you want to do is... Uh, as he says in here, it's super, super important to, if you're going to do it, be disciplined about it, do it regularly, do it every day until you've actually mastered the posture. And I would get to a place where I was doing 60 minutes comfortably for a week and then stop for months at a time and then have to train up again from ground zero. Mm. And I've done myself, after 20 years of not having an asana, I've I've given myself a real physical injury because oh, yeah. uh, I'm I'm starting again and starting again and starting again. Whereas if I had um had just done it every day i'm sure i wouldn't be in this position well this is one of the reasons that i think it's really good to talk
0: about our experiences with this too because uh, i don't remember if we mentioned this on here already today or if it was before we mm. uh, started recording but uh, i was sort of i was saying it's a shame because people tend to talk about what's prescriptive mm-hmm. about uh, uh, these practices but you don't really hear people talking about the nitty-gritty about what they actually experience and that's one of the things that always comes to mind like going through a uh, practice of trying to do the asana frequently mm-hmm. in and getting you know having to take minutes to get ease out of it afterwards and that sort of thing and the pain that comes with it it feels like okay there's no way this can't be problematic for something going on here you know
1: well i um uh, I, I was once doing a class, something where I was like meditating in my posture, and someone was walking around and looking at people, and she was like, "Oh my God, your feet are black!" And I said, uh, "I said, you mean like a dark kind of purple, like the the circulation She was, and I was like, "They're li- like black, like black, black." And this is fine. Like I cannot underscore <laughs> enough that that it's okay if your feet go numb. It's okay if you know you're if uh, if you can't get up. It's okay if you have cramps. Uh, when you're relaxing, what what's important is that you persist with regularity in the practice until you master the posture um, and do not spend, you know, you can spend six months torturing yourself like this. You can't spend 20 years like I did torturing yourself like this because <laughs> eventually you're going to get a chronic strain injury or something. Um, uh, and But it's also important What he says here is don't imagine that any posture has any special spiritual Mm -hmm. significance. Uh, I liked the dragon because, you know, it was taught to me when I was little and because it's one of the ones Crowley recommends in his book. And now I'm like, you know, sitting up on a cushion with one leg on the floor and the other leg just kind of in front of that leg. And it's still just as uncomfortable. And my right leg still goes numb and it still takes me a minute to get up. Um, but I'm less likely to exacerbate my injury and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm starting again after a long, long time mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, it doesn't, it, it doesn't feel good. So, uh, if you're going to do it, just do it.
0: Yeah. When it comes down to it. I mean, that uh,
1: ego boost thing
0: is a real thing, and it's easy to read this, this warning and, yeah, take it to heart and then forget totally all about it and, you know, go about your business, do a sauna for a few weeks and start feeling all high and mighty about it and that sort of thing. But mm-hmm. this is all means to an end. This is all
1: exercise. Another interesting thing that happens is um, if you do get distracted one day, or if I get distracted one day, like let's say I'll sit for 20 minutes and my phone will ring. Like, oh, this could be an emergency with my kid. I should just check it. Then I put the phone down and I try to carry out my posture because it's not an emergency. Um, Then for like two, three weeks at a time, I'll get really stressed out, open my eyes and check the timer. And it will be exactly the same time that my phone rang. It (laughs) It only takes one willed incident to to leave an echo in your practice that takes weeks and weeks and weeks to iron out. So,
0: you know what, that actually brings to mind, uh, something that I wanted to allude to as well, which, uh, it's a little outside of this, but at the same time, I think it's really, uh, it's part and parcel with the subject matter and that sort of thing, which is, um, there's a, a little paper called the training of the mind by Alan Bennett, uh, which was, included in the equinox volume one number five where bennett talks about the uh the tendencies mm. and this is an example of a tendency that starts to come up and this is one of the reasons that i feel like uh, you know i have a st- ambivalent feeling about the uh the sanskrit terms because I feel like, you know, when we're using these these traditional terms for all these, the subject matter, the difficulty I feel like people may run into is that they start thinking about these things as uh, an exotic, different thing. But we're actually, these are things that exist in reality and that are with you all the time. So we're talking about the way that your thoughts work. So as an example, uh, in this case, if I can be allowed this uh, brief aside... The uh, the portion that I'm thinking of in particular is uh, in the marvelous system of psychology which has been declared to us by our teacher, the citta or thought stuff is shown to consist of innumerable elements which are called dhamma and sankhara. If we trans... or sorry, dhamma or sankhara. So it's like essentially eluding the mm-hmm. same thing. If we translate dhamma or sankhara as used in this context as tendencies, we shall probably come nearest to the English meaning of the word. When a given act has been performed a number of times, when a given thought has arisen in our mind a number of times, there is a definite tendency to the repetition of that act, a definite tendency to the recurrence of that thought. Thus, each mental dhamma, each sankara, tends to produce constantly its like, and B in turn
1: reproduced. So yeah, these 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 echoes is why is why you're pointing to this, right? The 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 repetitions of yeah, these of are patterns. habits
0: of thought. So like, I mean, I have obsessive compulsive disorder, mm-hmm. so I'm acutely aware of thinking of things in this kind of way. Um, the recurrence of habits, not just thought habits, but of all habits and the more that you uh, observe the mind and that sort of thing the more you recognize that these this is what you're dealing with is habits your habits of thought your habits of um, preconception your habits of uh just all these patterns that that are recurrent
1: Hmm. yeah i don't know what more to say about that but that's that's right there's uh the, this thing about uh Uh, echoes over time is 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 real and interesting and when we get in and and if we ever get into talking about the the mental aspects of this pro uh process it'll be even more um uh cogent to bring it up i'm thinking about what you're saying about the using using the sanskrit terms and Mm -hmm. how it's it's distracting because it makes it seem magical when you know talking about the mind, like, we just know what minds are. So, like, why would we have to have a foreign word to describe... Well, it's not so
0: much... That wouldn't be the way I would parse it exactly. But, like, for instance, like, uh, talking about the tendencies. I teach guitar. Mm -hmm. When you're learning a musical instrument, you can use the tendencies in your process. You start to recognize that you're training your fingers, which have an automated response, And is separate from the way that your thinking tries to deal with things. If you had to think about every single motion that you made with your fingers on the fretboard, then it eats up a lot of brain power. And uh, it's hard to juggle everything that's going on. So what you do is you train by repetition over and over again, your fingers making these movements, and you get them adapting to different movements. And then what happens is you can allow them to do that, and it frees up a lot of your brain power so that your brain can minimize the amount that it has
1: to be engaged and be working on other things. Um okay that's fine. Yeah, so you think that there's a there's a way in which some of these things are explicable using a language that's that's native
0: to some extent and I think like uh, the main thing is at least if we're going to use these terms like cheetah for mind stuff mm. like at least we can demystify them to some extent so that we can make them you know recognize what they're actually applied to and not mystify what they're applied to
1: there used to be um and i don't know to what extent there still is there used to be a question in philosophy about how a non-physical thing could affect a physical thing so the mind is non-physical the body is physical how does our mind control our arm like, uh, there needs to be some mechanism uh, for the relationship of the non-physical mind and the the, the physical body, um, but but that mechanism would either be physical or non-physical, so that it could relate to either. And then we still have this problem. Um, so for a while, there was this idea that mind stuff was stuff. It was just stuff in a subtler way than matter is it's mm-hmm. like a, a a refined matter kind of uh, like the
0: ether that the that things float around in space sure based on
1: um and i think people no longer believe this they uh uh and and i think most people that you want to teach yoga to don't ever meaningfully question like how does my mind control my body because often they're materialists and they think they're Mind is just their brain or some electrical movement in their brain or something. Mm -hmm. They have an explanation for this, which may or may not be true. Um, But it's so, so helpful to think of the thought as being composed of stuff, like some unruly, like maybe uh, my child plays with this toy called slime, which is like not quite solid and not quite liquid. And you like Mm -hmm. push it together and then it wants to flow out. And uh, and so it, it, when you're talking about really refined control of mental processes, thinking them at, thinking of them as having a matter that's finer than gross matter that you can't use muscles to control is so so helpful that I think having a word for it, uh, chitta, matters. You know, because mm-hmm. it conveys something that that people don't usually. Like if you just said, you know, focus your mind. They'd say, oh, I can't focus my mind. You're like, well, that's because the mind is water. The mind isn't water? What's wrong with you? <laughs> you know, okay, well, the mind is chitta. Um Asana too, if you just say sit still, people think they sit still all the time. No one ever sits still. There's this process of training. Pranayama, you could say they're breathing exercises, but we want to say that they're breathing exercises that affect the spirit. Again, there's this question of how the material can relate to the spiritual. So we'd call it prana. I think there's a there's... Uh, I think um, that uh, learning a new language for something that is a new activity, um, there's a reason that that's helpful. Every 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 activity you pick up has a jargon that goes with it, Mm -hmm. and and it's for it's for a reason. You need to apply uh, these new ideas to to new. Draw new associations between words and ideas.
0: I like that. I like that. In fact, I'm very glad that uh, um, we've had this interaction because it helps to clarify. <laughs> that. That's pr- that's very
1: useful. Uh, I can see your your angle too, right? Like unnecessarily mystifying things with too much technical jar- jargon is just gatekeeping, mm-hmm. and it, and confusing and makes you seem like you have an authority when all you have is your own coded language. Um, so simplifying as much as we, as we can and communicating in plain English, uh, I think is something that Crowley tried to do. But that mm-hmm. would be the other argument for why we need to use Sanskrit terms for some things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, why, uh, what are the three um, things we need to look for when we're training uh, a, a new asana for ourselves? The three things that we need to look for. Uh, well, Crowley says, but there are no rules. There's three rules.
0: (laughs) (laughs) These tricks may help or may hinder. It is up to you to find out which are good and which are bad. The why and the what and all other questions. What are you alluding to with these three
1: particular Uh, things to look forward? Why then should we bother to choose a specifically sacred position? Uh, Firstly, we want to be steady and easy. We want to, we want, let me start that again. Firstly, we want to be steady and easy. We want in particular to be able to do pranayama in that position if ever we reach the stage of being able to attempt that practice. We may therefore formulate, roughly speaking, the conditions to be desired in the posture as follows. One, we want to be properly balanced. Two, we want our arms free. They are used in some pranayama. Three, we want our breathing apparatus as unrestricted as possible. So um 1 and 3 mean that just mean that the spine needs to be straight and then 2 means we can't be like doing any kind of weird handstand or <laughs> sitting on our hands or anything um so just regular cross-legged as long as your hips are open enough to be able to pitch forward slightly and have your spine grow up from Uh, your centered hips is is good enough you need a straight a straight back properly balanced with your arms free um, because the pranayama Crowley most likes is nodhi shodhana which is alternate nostril breathing so Mm. you need to close your left nostril with your left thumb and then your right nostril with your right thumb and so you need to be able to move your hands and then having be able to open the chest so that you can breathe deeply and comfortably so those are the three things when you're picking an asana other than that you are you are you are free to do as you please also uh you know try not to fall asleep (laughs) you're you're right about that (laughs) and don't
0: give up on your asana that you've chosen just because it doesn't seem to be working out and you think that maybe switching to a different one will help
1: that's right this is why i resisted changing posture for so long uh, and you know when you said you took the did you say lazy way out by doing <laughs> uh, you, you know you should just do the posture that you can always that, that, that you always do until you have it locked um, barring any serious uh, health complaints mm-hmm. <laughs> you know uh, if you do it for um, no I don't even want to say that I was gonna say if you do it for a week and it it seems wrong and you change it the faster you change it the better you don't want to do it for two weeks and then change it because then you're probably not changing it because it's the wrong posture you're probably changing it because you're avoiding the work of Hmm. of um of pushing through it yeah and a big part of what we're dealing with here is
0: uh countering the distractions that we're constantly dealing with and if your asana itself becomes a distraction in that way where you're suddenly swapping it out and changing it up then that's just feeding into that so we're trying to counter that i mean it's just like sitting there for an hour in the first place the first thing that's going to happen is you're going to be in, in incredibly bored for an hour you know it's going to be a painful boredom it's going to take some time to get used to even just that and even that it's like it can continuously be boring uh, you know, for in an ongoing way. And I mean, I, I, I remember mentioning to somebody that I was doing what is entailed in a and, uh, it's just the look of horror on the person's <laughs> face. <laughs> it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty amusing. And it, it does make you stop and stand back and say, yeah, you know what? I can understand how that's, uh, uh, having to sit there for a full hour is a is a daunting idea but then again like sitting there for a full hour and practicing guitar seems like a daunting idea when you're when you're not used to the concept
1: this is one thing is getting used to slices of time that are one hour long Um, the cheetah starts to build get used to rhythms so if you're used to watching situation comedies you might live in twenty two minute slices if you're used to watching you know evening dramas you might live in uh... forty four or fifty five minute segments Um, if you're used to you know watching youtube you might live in two or three minute (laughs) segments Um, and uh... and then if you find that after a sustained practice of asana, you tend to give up. Like if you set a timer for 61 minutes or something, which is what I do, and then you check to see if that timer's still working (laughs) after 52 minutes, um, then you end up living in 52 minute slices where again and again and again for week after week after week, you continue to check the timer at 52 minutes and make sure it's still working. This is my biggest uh, type of break is the, Uh, Oh, is the battery in my electric timer gone out? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, I keep, I always, I keep wondering that and it's my excuse for opening my eyes. And then this thing about pain, the, there is the distraction of the pain, but you're right. The distraction of the, the, just like the anxiety of like, oh, can I do something else now? Have I been sitting here long enough? How many more minutes? After fifty-five minutes, what's another six minutes? Like mm-hmm. you should just go to your sixty-one minutes. Um, but it's so hard. It's so hard. And this is why Crowley says in here, it's better to squirm uh, for an hour than to sit perfectly still for fifty-nine minutes because yeah. um, that little that little crack in the discipline. So if you start having these breaks, um, you know, if you need, if you have a stretch or if you have a or if you open your eyes and you peek at the clock or whatever, um, you you just have to stick it out. And then you realize that, that once you start moving, it becomes harder and harder to stick it out. If you'd never moved, maybe you would have gone through all the way to the end. You
0: know, I know we want to move on to Pranayama, but just briefly, like the... Uh the, the approach to music, again, is is kind of uh, pertinent to this because I feel like when you're dealing with an instrument, you, you go through a lot of the same things. And I feel like learning uh, to really engage with guitar practice, and that was my first experience of yoga, uh, first direct, clear experience of that. Uh, because trying to sit there and focus is a process that you have to get used to, and you kind of have to break through a barrier of resistance that comes up. And then what happens is with, when you're dealing with music, the nice thing about it is you've got something tangible in front of you that makes mm. it easier and some an experience that is more direct that um, is much easier to, to go through that process and have uh, real checkpoints that are very clear and in front of you. So like you're, you're initially resisting the process of practicing and, and your mind wants to be anywhere else and is thinking about all these other things, but gradually you stop things down to a form of tunnel vision where you're present and you're there and it's hard to stop after that because you you build a momentum that keeps moving forward. It's hard to pull yourself away from practice at a certain point. Uh, with, with these yoga practices, I think that you're going to experience the same thing through practice actually paying off, but it's a harder... It's a harder thing to engage with, I think, than something like an instru- a musical instrument. Because
1: the practice itself offers you no distractions from practice. Yes. You know, you can, do your, you can practice your scales and practice your scales and practice your t- scales and then play Smells Like Teen Spirit and still be practicing. Yeah. But you can't sit still <laughs> and sit still and sit still and then have a stretch and still be practicing. Yeah. You, <laughs> um, uh, I wonder if living, trying to live in one-hour slices would help. Like if you sit down to practice guitar, set a timer for one hour. Mm -hmm. If you sit down to read, set a timer for one hour. Get accustomed to what one hour feels like. So Because if you watch an hour-long TV show and it's only 48 minutes long, you might think Mm -hmm. that an hour is 48 minutes long and start getting stressed out when you realize it's longer.
0: That's an interesting idea. I mean, people will probably think that's semantic, but it really isn't because there's subconscious cues and things going on in your mind that... uh, Um, aren't as straightforward as that. The
1: mind is a trainable substance and gets used to the idea of being in a specific shape. (laughs) Um, Here we go. Let's just read this section before we end. Let me digress for a moment. You you digressed. Crowley's also allowed to digress. (laughs) And refer to what I said in my textbook on magic with regard to the formula of IAO. This formula covers all learning. You begin with a delightful feeling, as of a child with a new toy. You get bored, you attempt to smash it. But if you are a wise child, you have a scientific attitude towards it, and you do not smash it. You pass through the stage of boredom, and arise from the inferno of torture towards the stage of resurrection, when the toy has become a god. The chosen posture attracts you you purr with self-satisfaction. It is quite clear that there is something wrong with this. Fortunately, time is the great healer and is on the job as usual. Before very long, you forget all about the pleasantness of the thing. So, (laughs) (laughs) the, 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 the stage from, you know, new posture to actually working on your posture to hopefully the toy becomes a god <laughs> uh, which just means fully integrated and you participated it, with it and as you say it's hard to tear yourself away from mm-hmm. your practice you've created a union with it you've yeah.
0: performed yoga
1: your first your first union with your posture before you even attempt meditation proper mm-hmm. what is uh, pranayama and we've already said that it's control, control of, of breath, usually uh,
0: translated as control of breath.
1: Yeah, um, but but how do, how do you do it?
0: We go back to the idea of rhythm here because we want to uh, we want to slow it down, and we want to make it rhythmical. Although he does say that there's a few different possible approaches to breathing. For instance, there's one where you're breathing as fast as possible.
1: So Durga Pranayama, um, there are three different. Ways in the body. Uh, this is not in our text. Uh, this is just a different possible. Durga pranayama, there are three different ways in the body to admit breath. The first thing is to drop the diaphragm. Then the next thing is to kind of expand the rib cage out to the side. And then the last thing is to lift the sternum. And Durga pranayama is regularizing these things such that all three stages are even and then they reverse. You you relax the belly first, then you relax the rib cage, then you drop the chest. So you go in from the bottom up, and then out from the bottom up. Uh, um, and that's uh, that's Durga Pranayama. It just means taking a full breath using the whole body, whole lung, and the whole the whole muscular system to drive it. Um, uh, Kapalabhati means um, to force the breath out of the lungs by a contraction of the muscle of the diaphragm and then by relaxation of the muscle of the diaphragm allow the breath back in. And that sounds like (laughs) I started too fast, but by the time I was done, I was really doing it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Crowley's favorite uh, though is Nodhi Shodhana, which is the alternate nostril breathing and that's because it draws energy into those channels that I was talking about before, the, the, the Ida on the left side of the body and the Pingala on the right side of the body and tends to try to balance them and open the Shushumna. Uh, he will say that this is all Hinduist, hin, hin, Hindu moralizing, metaphysic you, you don't want he doesn't want to talk about metaphysics right here he wants you to prove through experience what's going on but this is what nati shatana does what's the mechanism of the practice
0: the mechanism of the yeah practice. what do you what
1: do you actually what are you actually doing so literally
0: what we're doing is we're breathing out through the left nostril for 30 seconds then breathing in for 15 seconds or, sorry, is it 10 seconds to start with? 10 uh, seconds to start
1: I think, with. I think 15 is sounds better to me.
0: Well, I mean, let's read this outright so, so sure. we're getting it correct. This simply means that you get a stopwatch and choose a cycle of breathing out and breathing in. Both operations should be made as complete as possible. The muscular system must be taxed to the utmost to assist the expansion and contraction of the lungs. When you have got this process slow and regular, for instance, 30 seconds breathing out and 15 in, you may add a few seconds in which the breath is held, either inside or outside the lungs. I I think at some point he, uh, I don't know if it's here or if it's in Libre E, he uh, says that breathing out should be... Three times as long as breathing in?
1: Twice as long, I think. Twice as long, okay. Yeah, that's why he says 30 and 15. That's right. You know what it is?
0: I think it's in Libero. I think we're supposed to start with uh, 20 out, 10 in. And then the next stage of the process is uh, 30 out, 15 in. And this is the process that I've been going through the past month. And I've gotten to the next stage of the process, which is 15 out, 15 in, hold for 15 and i just started
1: that whoa last good for night. you how's that going um that's a, that's a lot of moving from one stage to the next is quite quite stressful Mm -hmm. isn't it it is the first time
0: is like very very uh yeah very stressful and it's it's finding the right rhythm of it Mm -hmm. i think that's the big thing is the pacing because like for instance getting used to doing 30 out was very tricky at first they as you say the the first transition into that is the trickiest phase of it and it's like uh, because it's so easy to you know just breathe out fast he does mention as well Um, the idea behind breathing out slowly seems that if you breathe out too fast, it's like you're losing, it's a a loss of energy, and he thinks that there's something to that.
1: That's, that's right. Thank you for mentioning that. Um, thank you for mentioning that, Darren. (laughs) You're welcome, Michael. Let's, let's stay on the fucking radio. Um, (laughs) the, uh, this is just my guess, um, but it makes it easy to remember kind of when to hold the breath and when to um and and, and sort of how that that movement should work i kind of imagine that when i'm drawing air into the left through the left nostril it's going into that left lung um uh activating the the either channel channel on the left side of the body and then you hold and then you you want to exhale through the opposite nostril so that you always hold on the inside on the, the indrawn breath and then switch nostrils after that hold on the indrawn breath so that if you draw breath into the left lung, as we're imagining, that that same breath then gets expelled from the right lung. And so somehow the energy has to travel across the bottom of the abdomen mm-hmm. to get out on the opposite side. And this is how I, I imagine the kundalini in the, at the base of the spine starts to get stirred up um, um, so that you can start to enliven that snake so he comes up the shushumna mm-hmm. up through the center of the body. Uh, I don't know if this is the doctrine or not. This is something I just kind of made up, but it's a, it serves as a n- mnemonic for myself to remember how these patterns work. Uh, you hold the breath on the inhale, and you, uh, you change nostrils uh, when the belly is full, not when the belly is empty. There are, uh, there are versions of this, and he even says in here, you can choose to hold mm-hmm. the breath when the lungs are empty. Uh, that's okay. And there's a square breathing pattern that I've done before uh, where you hold at both the inhale and the exhale. But most of the beginning practices where the in, in both Libra E and Book 4, um, you're doing what I'm describing, holding the breath on, on a full belly and changing nostrils from the inhale to the exhale. So mm-hmm. the, the little mnemonic of like, oh, I'm moving the breath across the bottom of my body from the right lung to the left lung helps you remember to do that
0: yeah and this is a i I think that also goes back to what you were saying about your argument for using these other terms and thinking about the mind stuff in Mm -hmm. this way and thinking about these things in this way um this is again we're dealing with intangibles just Mm -hmm. like i was saying you can actually have the guitar in front of you and and Mm -hmm. and hear the results of it and all that sort of thing in this case the way that we're dealing with these things and moving things around is by visualization Mm -hmm. um so this is like perfectly to your point
1: um uh what's the any any like interesting notes that you've had from the the, the month of pursuing these practices? So
0: far, it's not like I can say that I've been bouncing around like a frog or anything like that.
1: No, that's f- not really what I mean. <laughs> if that had been your experience, I would be happy to hear about <laughs> it. But I just wanted to know if there's any subtle, like you know, tips and tricks or 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 weird annoyances or definitely,
0: uh, especially this time of year and with the the way that the weather's been recently. I don't have air conditioning at my place. Um, it's uh, generally pretty decent, but it's like uh, when it- when it gets really bad, the air quality can really suck. And I found that to be problematic. Mm -hmm. Um, So that definitely, there was two days in there where I, uh, I just couldn't, I couldn't do the breathing for the full hour. So it was,
1: uh, I just had to, your lungs felt wet from the humidity or something. Oh, it's
0: just the strain seemed so painful, like yeah. muscular on the muscular level and that sort of thing. And, uh, it just, yeah, it was just not happening. And, uh, you know, I tried to persist in it and it was just sort of like, you know, I, I, I had to give into the fact generally I've been pretty good at persisting through, you know, anything that's holding me back and that sort of thing. But in those cases, I, I, uh, that the two days, there, I had to sort of just accept the fact. But uh, then again, I was thinking to myself, well, here I am complaining about this, and meanwhile, Crowley was doing it in in uh, um, uh, some place that's got to be a tropical climate, and you know, who knows how much humidity would have been.
1: The regularity of practice that he was able to display. I was complaining, right? Like, oh, I've I've had to change my posture because like my legs hurt or mm-hmm. i've had to change my posture and and, uh, and or i've had to change my posture sometimes or or like i've had to take breaks in practice because uh i have uh, bronchitis i'm a person who gets bronchitis so i'll be sick for like 3 months with mm-hmm. just like heavy lungs um or uh if you read uh the diaries from Crowley's walk across china first of all he's walking across china <laughs> so that's hard work um and he's trying to get um Get his HGA attainment, so he's doing Lever Uh, Samik, uh I, I'm not clear on whether it's three times or 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 nine times a day, but he's doing it a lot um, and then uh, He gets some sort of tropical fever which actually lands him in the hospital for a couple of days um, uh, And while he's sick before the hospital visit um Continuing to hike every day with a guide or, or you know, maybe he's going down the river at this point or something. He gets a letter from his wife informing them that their very young daughter has died. And he journals it and talks about what it was like doing practice that night. Hmm. He just keeps doing it. Yeah. and uh, And it's so important to just keep <laughs> doing it. Um, uh, uh, what What was it like after giving yourself a break for two days in a row because of the heat? To go back to doing it for a full hour was that was there extra strain or was it okay? It was okay,
0: yeah? and it really was. It really did come down to the air quality, huh. I think. Okay, so that that really did make a huge difference in this case. I know what you mean. There's some sometimes that'll be the like. I mean, for instance, with physical exercise, mm. if I'm doing a workout uh, kind of thing, and then I fall off of that for a few days or whatever, then getting back into it can be, oh my God, it's like, you know, a yeah. whole slog all over again. But, uh, and, uh, I was kind of worried about that, frankly. And in fact, uh, I was worried about, uh, upping the level, uh, shortly after that, but I, I managed to get through it anyway. That was another thing, like how soon to up the levels. And I think that might be why, you know, things are kind of left a little bit like, uh, it's not like a specifically, Uh, regimented in terms of how long you're supposed to do it before you go to the next level up because it's probably going to vary it's going to be you got to sort of feel it out but my mentality on that uh, particularly in this case I ended up giving two weeks and then I wanted to try upping the level and then that way I figured I'd get into a good rhythm with things. And then I could see how, how things were feeling to up the level. And that's what I've done. And I managed to stay consistent with that so far. Um, but I feel like, uh, you know, that's not necessarily going to work for everyone under all circumstances. Uh, maybe upping the level sooner might be worthwhile. I don't know. But maybe you'll have to spend a little bit more time in a particular place.
1: Well, book four says the beginner should do 30 minutes to an hour. Um, and then lieber E says not to, not to graduate yourself to harder work until, until it's perfect until, till the, the first practice the is perfectly hour. easy for one hour. Yeah. Um, and so it sounds like what you're having is some success. And, uh, and, and so I imagine whether or not you would say it was perfectly easy or not, I don't know, <laughs> but that you're getting to a place where the practice is regular enough In those two weeks before you let yourself graduate.
0: Something I learned from, again, from music is that uh, if if you just keep persisting in the same place, it seems like, okay, well, that's probably going to be good. Maybe I should stick to it for Mm. a month, just the one level. But what actually happens in reality is you have a quick learning curve and then you plateau. And then you might even get worse if you keep persisting just in the same way. So keeping yourself adapting to some extent works really well in music. So in this case, I'm kind of uh, approaching it with the same mentality where it's like, okay, once I get comfortable, push. Just like with working out as well. You want to keep pushing yourself rather than getting too comfortable just in one place. What
1: are your breaks like? Like, are you just – is it just that you notice – Oh, I exhaled a little quickly this time. Or does it actually, uh, do you actually have to stop and catch your breath and start again?
0: Initially, like I think mostly in those first, in that first day or two of transitioning mm-hmm. over to the new one that, yeah, I might I'll have to like, you know, stop and, and readjust. And it's sort of part of the process, I think, of just getting into the rhythm of mm-hmm. like the timing of the breathing and that. But yeah, that'll, that'll be uh, uh, something that happens I'll say probably twice in the sitting I'll have like, I'll have to stop and and like Mm -hmm. maybe, you know, blow my nose or, or just reassert my breath or whatever. And then, um, yeah, outside of that, there, there will be times where I'll be breathing out a little too fast, but still be able to maintain and still get back on track. And there'll be a temptation to stop, but because there's like that right. out of breathness yeah. and the strain. But uh, that again is, a, I, I would attribute to just sort of trying to find
1: the right rhythm. It's amazing how hard it is for 10 minutes and then how easy it is for 45 minutes oh, yeah. and then how hard it is again for just another 4 or 5 minutes. <laughs> well,
0: that that again is like, a, I find like a, with both the asana and with the pranayama, I find that the uh, uh, often... The last ten minutes will be where glorious uh, results are had. I see. But everything up until that point is kind of like you know a bit of you know just wrestling with yourself to make sure everything stays on track. Wow, I
1: find a, I find the opposite. I find those last ten minutes a real push. <laughs> um, and I I can be I, I, I can I can do forty five minutes maybe. It's hard to know because you're not looking at the clock the whole time. But I can do forty five minutes. And think, man, this is so easy. I'm just gonna sail through to the end of this thing, and then still, and then five minutes later, be like crippled. <laughs> um, or, or or sometimes I'll think this is so easy. I must be, you know, like. And then there's some, sometimes there'll be a temptation to look and realize that I've only been sitting there for 10 or 15 yeah. minutes. Oh, oh you know what? That's
0: one of, the, one of the things I noticed as well with the the dozing off. Like when I'm dozing off constantly through a sauna practice for the hour, uh, that's the worst because you'd think, you know, dozing off, oh, it'll go by like no time as a result of that because that'll just contribute to the, you know, losing track of time. No, it's the opposite. It seems like it, it like when you, when I doze off for just like, it seems like I'll be, in it for 20 minutes and then like I'll I'll start, uh, you know, jerk a little bit uh, and that'll wake me up and then uh, maybe I'll glance at the clock and it's only been 3 minutes you know, it's like, oh it's brutal and every time is like that well to your point of uh, his uh, superlative just the way that he talks about things tends to seem pretty exaggerated like when he's saying like uh, the muscular system must be taxed to its utmost to assist and the expansion and the contraction of the lungs. Um, I, I think because he consistently uses this kind of language, it sounds intense. Like everything sounds so intense all the time. So it sounds like uh, how far are you supposed to be pushing everything? Are you supposed to be like feeling like, you know, how much tension are you supposed to be feeling in, in the asana when you're holding the asana and that sort of thing?
1: There are some photos of Crowley doing this practice. Uh, where he just inclines his head slightly towards the floor on the exhale, and just slightly towards the ceiling, pulling his shoulders back on the inhale. Um, and he says the reason he took those photos—it's quite a big deal to take photos in like the nineteen <laughs> twenties. go um, to studio. Is that he found students were trying to do the practice without effort, and so that those those that physical change in posture is supposed to show the work that he's doing to control the breath. Um, and I think partly, too, is the fact that you're, you've spent all, all this time training up an asana. You want to use it. Um, and he says here that that you, your arms need to be free in your asana so that you can do pranayama in the posture. So, So the idea that you would move any more than the minimum amount of movement required to, to to close the nostrils or whatever is, is surprising so i think he's he's showing you this little this little gesture that is the the result of the the muscle structure opening and then contracting the lungs uh the diaphragm the abdomen the whole thing um and uh, but if you just do this experiment uh, maybe there are people listening to this who haven't done like real breath control work but if I'm, if I'm talking and I'm almost there, there's a moment when I get off breath. I can still keep speaking, but I have to push. And so with Durga Pranayama, there, that feels like a full exhale. I'm continuing to talk without inhaling more. Again, feels like a full exhale, but I still have enough breath in me to drive. And I think that was the bottom. <laughs> so uh, it's not that it's not necessarily that that you need to artificially feel that you're doing a lot of work. Like you know, don't flex your abs if you don't need to flex your abs. But the idea of of pushing till the lungs are really contracted and inhaling till the till the mm. instrument is really full. I mean, again, I can do the same demonstration. <sighs> And I think that's about the top, right? Like Mm -hmm. hopefully people can, hopefully the the recording picks that up. You can see how, uh, how you can keep breathing after a full breath. And what you want to aim for in this practice is, um, is a smooth fullness so that the exhales are really exhales and the inhales are really inhales.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm glad I shelled out for the uh, uh, expensive mics with the Prana sensor. <laughs> <Pretty> <laughs> yeah, nice. is that what that little thing is there on the side? <laughs> that's pretty neat. Oh, no, that's just a big gunk. Oh, I see. Well, according to the tradition, like, th- one of the things that uh, comes up here is, because he doesn't talk about... The pranamu movement in the way that you were describing. That's right, uh, he doesn't. uh, But he does does talk about the nuts and bolts of the actual physical acts that we're involved with here. Uh, He says also that uh, when it comes to the, the period of holding the breath, according to tradition, if you can hold the mind still for as much as 12 seconds, you will have... You will get one of the highest results of yoga. And I think the idea being that during the holding stages of the breath, uh, that's where you're more likely to be able
1: to do the real work of holding the mind still. This is the. None of this is yoga yet, Mm -hmm. right? This is preparatory work. Um, Yoga is the process of. Yoga proper is this process of meditation, of holding the mind. Um, there's one teacher I was watching who said that, you know, if you imagine Crowley's favorite example is the red triangle, let's say you're trying to hold this red triangle, concentrating is realizing that you've become distracted and bringing the mind back to the triangle, bringing the mind back to the triangle, bringing the mind back to the triangle. So you have to do lots and lots and lots of concentrating before you can even begin meditating. Meditating is realizing that the shape is there and stable and staying and that you're not thinking about anything else. And this is even preparatory to concentration, <laughs> to, to still um, all of the physiological movements of the body so that you can start doing uh, uh, doing concentration so that you can then start doing, Mm uh, um, uh, yoga. I mean, really yoga sort of uh, refers to the whole process, but, um, but people will say like, oh, you know, I got downloaded that new Headspace app and I meditated for like 15 minutes this morning. No, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Meditating is uh, is the stage of the process. Dharana is Dharana is concentration. Not until you're doing dhyana are you actually mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a worthwhile
0: distinction. And uh, just to bring an analogy to that real quickly, like the musical instrument thing, it sort of feels like that's like you initially when you're sitting down to practice, there's that whole phase of bringing your focus in, which would be the concentration that you're talking about. It's the process of getting focused and into that state of mind. When you reach that sort of tunnel vision state, that seems like the actual meditation proper, if I'm not misunderstanding you.
1: It's so. Some of the one of the advantages of like of um, the BKS Iyengar school of physical exercise that everyone thinks is yoga um, is that when you do some of these very very difficult things, it's hard to think of anything else. Mm. Uh, It does focus you entirely on what's going on. So you do. Um, attain sort of a yogic focus for a moment. You get a glimpse of what the exercise should be like uh, And and here the pranayama. It's it's not the stress of holding the lungs full or holding the lungs empty um, although that That requires a lot of focus too, but when you really are relaxed and and doing the practice well There's still that's that there is still that stillness in breathlessness that Crowley's talking about It's a real thing that you can experience and see that um, uh, This relationship of of like of of the mind stuff going and doing tendencies uh, to the the physiological tides in the body and if you can slow those down and stop them, there really is a relationship between the mind stuff and the the physical stuff. Thank you for reading that quote. That's what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, uh, do you ex- do you experience that when you have that those little, the breath held for those? couple of seconds is do you do you notice that it's different than when you're inhaling and when now you're I've
0: only added that
1: breath uh like just in terms of the present
0: mm-hmm. practice I've only added that in basically yesterday okay so it's only today was the second time doing that this morning so uh, I can't speak too strongly to adjust yet I think because it's still a little bit uh, getting into the process so I'll, I'll sort of withhold judgment for the time being
1: I think the last thing we desperately need to cover, and then we can cover anything else we want. Now, this funny thing about suicide. Oh, yeah. (laughs) uh, We
0: want to still the body, but uh, by shooting yourself in the head, you're not actually stilling the body. You're just releasing the control, which I thought was a really interesting subject that he alludes
1: to. You're releasing the control and releasing violent forces. Mm -hmm. Um... Reincarnate doctrines of reincarnation and like afterworldliness generally um, are really sort of important. Uh, people complain about like spiritual bypassing, which is a buzzword someone came up with recently that means like becoming so focused on your religious practice that you ignore real problems in the real world. Uh, spiritual bypassing. Is the point (laughs) It's not a bug in the system It's literally what you're doing. The world is suffering. You want to escape (laughs) Uh, So uh, Buddhism is for spiritual bypassing Uh, um, uh, Yoga in the Hindu schools is uh, it's not it's not for escaping but it's for putting yourself in correct relationship um, which means being absolved from a lot of the, a lot of the suffering and, uh, and then in the th- th- contexts, um, when we're learning what our job is, um, what our work in the world is, uh, um, and then especially when we're practicing yoga as all activities, extraneous to yoga tend to damage our ability to practice yoga, um, it, it becomes mandatory to ignore <laughs> lots and lots of, of stuff. And you know, you have one job and maybe your job is, maybe you're in, you do peace activism. Like, okay, so you're not ignoring the world. Uh, but then you have to ignore, in order to focus on that, you have to ignore all kinds of other yeah. positive goods that you could be doing. Uh, um, spiritual bypassing is the point. <laughs> it's not a bug <laughs> in the system, it's what it's for. <laughs> um, Partly, uh, so this thing about reincarnation becomes really, really important because um, because if 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 one reincarnates and one commits an act of violence oriented towards the self, then you're going to experience the consequences of that in future incarnations, but also. Suicide is an act of violence, actually outwardly expressed. You know, part of it is like, oh, those guys are gonna be sorry when I'm gone. They're gonna feel like it's because you know the the it's not that you've killed yourself. It's that that the bully at school killed you by neglect and mm-hmm. didn't realize what he was doing or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's a there's a theory of suicide that it's a violent act, not against the self, but expressed outwardly to try to destroy something. Uh, the equilibrium of the, the people around you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so partly you don't want to do that kind of damage that doesn't absolve you from suffering. It creates a bunch of suffering for a bunch of other people, and then you're dead, which is an undefinable state. We don't know what that's like. Um, uh, and then the third thing is if you want to... If you want other people to be free of suffering, too, uh, this is a big thing in uh, in yoga and meditation. And other schools like it is not quite evangelism, but that you, you sort of have this vague hope for the absolution, not the absolution, the, the liberation of all beings, um, that if you know everyone in your cult kills themselves. It's very unlikely other people will join the cult <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, So so they don't get so if so if uh, if you read all the doctrines and it leads to suicide um, uh, You need some way for that not to happen so for many reasons uh, uh, that don't necess that are that are inclusive of reincarnation, but don't necessarily require that as a doctrine Uh, We want something else to do that stops these processes rather than rather than just to shoot yourself. Does that all... I mean, maybe that seems like way too much text to explain <laughs> something that's sort of a joke, but I think there's uh, there's a real there are real reasons not to kill yourself, well, there's even also if like, life is suffering.
0: I mean, you could think of it in the perspective of uh, if you're seeing yourself as being a pattern, like these mm-hmm. are the tendencies that are recurring patterns going on right now. If you were to shoot yourself in the head with uh, the intention of stilling those patterns patterns don't just still from something like that. They'll go forward whether you believe in reincarnation or not. There's still like ripples going outwards in some way. Mm -hmm. So by this whole theory of things like uh like he mentions you're just taking the control out Mm. so you no longer have any control over those patterns at this point so what we need is to use the control to still those patterns and we will use specific patterns in order to still the overall Mm pattern so we'll use going back to the idea of like all action is a problem for us by the thesis of uh this description of yoga um, we're going to specifically use certain actions in order to still the
1: whole. Um, yeah i th- I think that's that's right. This idea of releasing violent violent energy, you know, if releasing violent violent energy is creating more patterns, that's an interesting way of looking at it.
0: Perpetuating them. Yeah.
1: yeah. Cool. Uh, do you want to talk about whatever the hell this is? <laughs> The classical physical results of pranayama are usually divided <laughs> in four stages. Oh my God! <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. This is like
0: one of those. So we have uh, uh, before. Yeah, before you have been doing it very long, things are pretty certain to begin to happen. Though this, I regret to remark, is fun to you, but death. To yoga. <laughs> so, uh, and it does seem like this is a recurring sort of uh, thing when, when it comes to yoga and um, the idea of uh, accumulation of magical powers and that sort of thing. It's like, yeah, you'll start to get magical powers. Yeah, There'll be a problem because you don't want magical powers. You want to be, they'll just be a distraction from the actual goal, uh, which is
1: my explicit goal is magical powers
0: <laughs> which you've always but, said yeah uh, so what, that yeah be
1: the exception to that rule?
0: Right. <laughs> well i mean it's like of course you get into magic why, like, why... Because magic. <laughs> so, why, uh, I mean, this is, it's a, why not bring this out in the open and, and talk about it? But it is, it. Uh, I have heard it said that uh, the idea of magical powers is what allures people into the, the path, and then once they're in there, it's too late to, by the time they get so deep, to realize that, uh, um, okay, well, the magical powers are actually just a distraction from the real goal, and so now you are deeper into the path and you realize theoretically this seems to imply that you gain a deeper wisdom and suddenly you have a right relationship to the nature of the universe and the nature of being and the nature of how to express the true will underlying things is that the case are we just uh, being fooled into some weird little cult where we Dress up and kill goats or something like that.
1: (laughs) I've I've never killed a goat. I just want to say on (laughs) my,
0: I have not killed a goat either. Although I did at one point want to, not out of any kind of maliciousness, but I I wanted to kill a goat in the halal manner because I Mm. felt like to me it felt like okay, you know what? I'm eating meat off the shelves all the time and I've never killed an animal. Uh, How distanced am I from that? And I felt like by actually killing an animal with my own hands in something resembling a religious manner, that could be a form of a union for me with that animal.
1: Bring on the frogs.
0: <laughs> there we Bring go. Bring yeah. on the frogs. <laughs> That's uh, referring to the uh, the Crowley's ritual of crucifying a frog, I imagine. Yeah,
1: let's get this, you know, if uh, uh, you can... Get goat meat anywhere. Let's get familiars. Let's yeah, get, there we go. Let's get <laughs> let's explicitly anti-Christian familiars. <laughs> uh, surely you've experienced this perspiration thing. If not uh, magical perspiration, at least ordinary perspiration. Given that you've been doing this in goddamn August. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is there anything interesting about the perspiration? Not especially. No. no. And I, I
0: remember going through this in the past with uh, previous, uh, you know, working through the pranayama practices and stuff, and being really excited about the idea of perspiration so when it started i started perspiring i would try rubbing it into my skin as he he says you can rub it into your skin and i forget what the uh, the particular efficacy i think it's are.
1: something to do with your musculature like invigorates or relieves yeah, or creates a glow or yeah, some you do know. better better muscles
0: you <laughs> 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 <Orzir's> rouge yeah <laughs> ladies ladies rub the pranayama sweat into their skin yes that's right no i i uh, i didn't i I have not noticed any particular interest uh, interesting results of the perspiration as yet I'm hoping maybe this time around I have uh, fooled myself in the past into believing that I had automatic rigidity uh, although I don't know if I was fooling myself or if and I remember that being associated I think I in the past I'm, I'm just going by memory here so I haven't consulted my diaries from way back when or anything like that. But I think uh, I might have mixed up my uh, results and thought that the automatic rigidity was associated with uh, the asana. So when you get to a certain stage and you hit automatic rigidity where it just clicks in, and I had that in my head, I think.
1: I do feel um, an intense kind of body stillness um, when doing uh, the asana asana practice, even if it's going to be an unsuccessful day. Um, there's always a moment where I feel like just really dropped in. Yeah. When you've uh, learned
0: it, when you've learned the asana to a certain extent that,
1: and then I will, I will say that recently, um, doing certain kinds of, uh, meditation work that are designed to ignite spiritual fires, maybe to kind of, you know, uh, uh, inflame the self in prayer or whatever. Mm. Um, Uh, I've been having automatic movements of my head and it's not the first time where like my head will maybe I'll start nodding or shaking my head or they'll rocket way back and then roll around Hmm. Um, and uh, I can can gain control like I can do willed action to put the head back where it goes Um, but it's not a willed action for those like this this starts happening And for people who can't see, I'm really moving. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I forgot uh,
0: about that. You've been moving your head this whole time. uh (laughs) Just now he's been shaking his head Uh, like uh, uh, the exorcist or something. uh, On its own. Not the exorcist, but Frankenstein's monster. This starts
1: on its own and needs to be grabbed and pulled back. Um, uh, And and what I think is happening is that um, Kundalini is kind of moving through the system. uh, And it hits a, a... a, a chakra that's not properly balanced or not properly sealed or something. And so the the physical body tries to get out of the way, so the energy can move around it somehow. Um, that's like a wild guess. Um, and then reading through this again, I thought, oh, this is something about something like jumping about like a frog, uh, mm. unbalanced automatic movement. But it only happens above the neck. I'm not blowing around the room or anything. Yeah, like what
0: this. he talks about is one of the results being jumping about like a frog. That's yeah, the next that's one the to next move one. on to. So that's uh, and more specifically, what he's talking about is, as he describes it, kind of. F- starting to flutter around like a leaf in the wind. Mm -hmm. So the idea being that uh, you seem to be defying gravity and normal physics in that sense, where you're, uh, and I think he described, okay, well, I mean, that seems like a preliminary, uh, or at least he gets the impression that perhaps it's a preliminary, or there's a theory that it's a preliminary to the levitation, and it's levitation being done incorrectly or incompletely
1: yeah the doc, the doctrine it says in here anyway the doctrine at least the what he calls the hindu doctrine is that the um, that pranayama makes the body light but if it if you're not perfectly sort of cleansed by pranayama the beginning of this lightness is crooked and so that's mm-hmm. why you move around instead of floating up in the air and as you continue to purify and purify and purify the nerve channels uh, which is what they're called. I don't know if nerves are actually channels, but that's <laughs> what they're called in yoga, um, that the the levitation will tend to be more and more vertical and you'll go straight up. He uh, Crowley says in his confessions, I think, uh, somewhere that he walked in on Alan Bennett mm-hmm. in like a tent and Alan Bennett was still like in his nice lotus posture, but three-quarters of the way upside down, resting on his left, left shoulder and the side of his head. Yeah, but like he'd been Photoshopped and moved into yeah, a different and, position. And Crowley just walked in and, like, picked him up and put him back in his <laughs> chair, like on his, like, little cushion or whatever. And uh, and Alan Bennett then came to and said, like, why are you touching me? It's weird. <laughs> 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 it's like, well, because you were upside down. It didn't look... Comfortable. <laughs> so, right. so uh, yeah, it uh,
0: seems to be something that like, cause he mentions the fact that uh, uh, he doesn't know that he's ever actually done the frog thing, jumping around like a mm-hmm. frog, but uh, he's been, uh, others have said that they've seen him doing that but he has no reason to believe it
1: there's at least one story i remember of someone witnessing him in levitation Mm -hmm. that he just they were around a campfire or something and he just laid back in his chair and closed his eyes and crowley's experience was of kind of going to sleep but the witness saw him sort of glow with an internal light and uh and he didn't actually see the chair lift off the ground but the sense was that he was two or three feet taller than he was before, so must have been Mm. lift. Like, you know, if you're looking at someone's face, you don't see where the chair legs are, but the sense was of him rising straight up in the air.
0: Yeah, in um, book four, part two, uh, there's like a little interlude, and then uh, I think where he's talking about cabalistic interpretations of, uh, um, nursery rhymes. And then I, th- I can't remember if, it- I think it's after just immediately after that. Um, if I'm remembering cl- correctly, he suddenly goes into, I-, I think he mentions, uh, uh, the Tao Te Ching or, uh, the Tao in general and Lao Tzu's uh, teachings and whatnot. And he goes into such a euphoric state. If only I could write something so, uh, you know, insightful and that, and then he goes into this euphoric state and, uh, uh, his, uh, scribe, was it Mary Dusty Sturges at the time? Uh, I believe, uh, she, she's the one taking down his, uh, his, uh, words the whole time and so she describes him as suddenly going into this this meditative state where he's like glowing golden and does he levitate in that description
1: i don't remember but i can't remember i feel like that might have been the case but i could be wrong but anyway uh he says of levitation i don't know about this at all i never (laughs) saw it happen on the other hand i have often felt as if it were happening and on three occasions, at least comparatively reliable people have said that they saw it happening to me. I don't think that proves anything.
0: <laughs> uh, so that gives us the four, uh, the four different um, results. And that makes it seem as if these are what we're doing it for. Is that the case?
1: I think we're doing it for um, uh, preparation for meditation.
0: It seems like the stillness uh, in the holding of the breath, being the where we can really do the concentration in the initial stages, seems like uh, it's being alluded to as
1: the goal. I had this a couple of weeks ago. I just wrote down thoughts are imperfections in the body, Hmm. Uh, um, which seemed right to me at the time. (laughs) I don't know what it means uh but if um, if the if pranayama cleans out the nerve channels uh physically lightens the person so that they levitate uh, um, and balances you so that levitation is directly vertical uh if um, if you're so still that it's that you can be picked up without breaking your posture like the, this automatic rigidity thing um, like, if what you want is to uh, have no physical distraction so that you can start to work to focus your mind, um, then all this stuff that may or may not be literally happening to you um, is just is is evidence of this kind of cleanness and simplicity of the physical body that allows you to,, um, to do, the more complicated mental work associated with meditation. I think uh, one of the things that we could also touch on is the
0: fact that the inverse of this, um, not just the results of actually doing the practices, but the results or the effects of stopping the practices makes a very pronounced difference as well. We can actually see how uh, our experience of daily life is suddenly very different when we're outside of practices. That's something I've always uh, really strongly noticed over the years as well. Which is, um, uh, you may not, you may get to the point because of the regularity of practices that if you're doing them day after day, you might get to the point where you're just so comfortable in that that you don't you don't recognize the full effects that these things have been having on your experience. And your mind and everything outside of the practices themselves when you're just in normal life. But then when you've stopped doing them, say, for a couple of weeks or whatever, you very quickly start to um, really recognize the noisiness of your mind, for instance. And uh, you might notice a lot of other changes going on as
1: well. For me, it's more like skill at existing. Like, if I'm not doing practice, life becomes rudderless Mm -hmm. and confusing, and I'm maybe achieving no less. Like, I may still write just as much, or I may still, you know, uh, have just as good a time with my son, or if I'm doing some kind of a job, it's not that I'm less good at the job. But there um, is a lack of maybe it's life plus anxiety or something like that (laughs) or a lack of connect, a lack of connectedness, a lack of understanding of my own value. Yeah, it does. I think the rudderless thing is a nice image
0: because it's sort of like the difference between sailing on calm waters versus um, winds and storms and things kicking up when you're
1: maybe it's like doing someone else's job hmm. like if you go and get a temp position someplace and you do really well and it's really fun and then um, uh, and then you know you're gonna leave because it's just a temp position then then like you might a year later forget that you ever did that hmm. um, and and the whole time you were there it's there's a sense of it kind of maybe not mattering Mm. um and when i'm doing practice regularly the rest of life seems to be organized in a way around practice and when i drop practice the rest of life continues to do what it's doing but it's like it's someone else's job Hmm. maybe interesting I'm trying to parse something that I've never put into words before. <laughs> so, and I don't, and, and I'm trying to do it without sounding like, yeah, man, it just calms me down and I feel more focused <laughs> it's not what it, it's not what it's, it's harder. <laughs> it's way harder to live life doing practice than not doing practice. <laughs> don't do yoga. You, you, <laughs> don't quit Philema, stop listening to us. don't be, don't do yoga. you're not it's not it's not for you. It's funny because I've always felt like
0: uh, you know people who just are uh, are going through their lives and just living their lives without seeming to uh, run into too much uh, difficulty. They're just able to um, have a house, have a family, have uh, their job, have their their things that they own and all that sort of thing and go to baseball games and all that sort of thing. It's like, yeah, keep it up it's <laughs> yeah, easy that's just go with it but. yeah
1: we don't need you <laughs> you don't need us we don't need you <laughs> um, these practices asana and pranayama are to a certain extent mechanical and to that extent it is just possible for a man of extraordinary willpower with plenty of leisure and no encumbrances to do a good deal of spade work of yoga even in England but I should advise him to stick very strictly to the purely physical preparation and on no account attempt the practices of concentration proper until he's able to acquire suitable surroundings. Why? Why can't I do yoga in England? (laughs) I do not not know. I have some guesses. Why do you... And
0: this is is a... Because, I mean, everywhere else it feels to me like Crowley's trying to... uh, promote the idea that even in a city you can you can be doing these practices and you can be working towards your union of uh, with the HGA and all that sort of thing So it feels to me like this is a oh this is suddenly acknowledging the fact that uh, yeah if you're trying to live in, in a country with general normal distractions then it's going to put a limitation on your progress in this work with yoga. So I don't have a, yeah, and this is a good question.
1: I think that's exactly right. I think that's exactly right. I, um, uh, if you read John St. John, it puts you to shame with his, uh, regularity with his yoga work, Mm -hmm. um, and his ability to like read while keeping his mantra going internally and then complaining that he can't. Do creative writing and still keep his match going internally. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it seems like an astounding feat. But then someone else posted some quote uh, on some maybe Facebook forum or something that I was following. He said, uh, "You misunderstand my history totally. I was never able." Uh, To take up a yoga practice after my last visit to India no matter how hard I tried I couldn't keep regularity the samadhi I experience is more of a consequence of the knowledge and conversation of the holy guardian angel Uh, So even though in John St. John, it seems like he's doing a lot of yoga He says that after his last visit to India. He was sort of spiritually obligated to give it up entirely Mm. Um, uh, And no matter how hard he tried he couldn't get a, a coherent yoga practice together um, and, uh, yeah, maybe it's just because he wasn't living with Alan Bennett in an ashram where Yama and Yama were taken care of for him mm-hmm. by a guru, and he could just get up in the morning and sit down and practice. Um, you see him trying to recreate this relationship later in Victor Newberg's diary where Crowley rockets Newberg through his entire AA probation in eight days. <laughs> because uh, he's coming up to the end of his year, and he hasn't fucking done anything. <laughs> so Crowley says, like, come to Bolskine. I'll cook for you. I'll give you a room. You can just focus on practice. And then Newberg just whines about it for the entire time. <laughs> he's mean. I don't... The room is too cold. <laughs> um, uh, uh, but, um, uh, but, but, yeah, I think, I think this is just the pace of life... Um, And the extraordinary discipline required to even do the amount of work that you're doing to expand that practice to include the mental stuff, maybe he thinks, you know, it's too much. I don't know why he says not even to try it seems to me like you could easily try <laughs> but
0: uh well i mean it's i mean we could compare it to the abermelon ritual mm-hmm. where uh you know by the prescriptions of that we're supposed to go for 9 months or what have you um to a remote place where we have nothing but uh one child to basically be our our uh, servant helping us out with stuff uh, like that well i think it's that like you that.
1: gradually remove yourself over the course of the uh the nine months i uh there there are things you're not supposed to do like you're not supposed to have any congress with the opposite sex um you're not supposed to like unless you're married uh um and even then there are guidelines around it and uh if you're a householder and you have to work you're allowed to keep doing certain kinds of work but Continue withdrawing withdrawing and withdrawing withdrawing and then for the last it's at least a week because you need to be in isolation for the KNC proper for the convocation of the Holy Spirits and then for con- the convocation for th- of the evil spirits which is seven days but there may even be three days before that when you need to be in isolation too mm-hmm. for something else um, uh, the um, HGA working is more kind of forgiving that way because it's magic and you are going outside of yourself looking for something else but this that is totally internal and about removing activity maybe you can't remove your activity in england mm-hmm. maybe it just stinks well I mean maybe maybe it's it's the dirtiest city in the world at the worst time in its history and it just fucking stinks well he
0: says even like if you uh, at the very least go out into the countryside and all that sort of thing but it's like I mean I guess maybe it's just the fact that you can't go um, months at a time without some kind of interaction with other people and if they're not already in agreement with what you're trying to do they're just you know ordinary people they're not people who are familiar with you know the fact that you're trying you're this you're trying to do this thing where you're settling out your mind and they're not respectful towards that or even understanding of it then you're inevitably going to run into some kind of uh, some kind of jostling against other people and and stuff that's probably going to be just feeding the negative tendencies and whatnot.
1: I guess so this is part of the reason to do Resh and the greeting and the will before meals and stuff like this The, the moral lessons that Crowley says it teaches are about Detachment from concern about how you're seen by others. You know, if you can say it loudly in a public square and have everybody go, mm, then uh, uh, then there's uh, something, some kind of healthy self-expression happening there that's meant to remove that kind of worry about uh, people judging your lifestyle. Um, but uh maybe it can't be. Well, I mean, it may not even be completely. something like that because yeah. it
0: might even just be a matter of like. Uh, um, you have to purchase bread and the, the person behind the counter tries to charge you, uh, like more than they did last time, not recognizing mm-hmm. you as been, a, been there before. And you're like, wait, that's suspicious. They're, you know, this is, mm-hmm. this is like, okay, clearly he's trying to fleece me. And I, and you mention it to them and the, they're like, oh no, no, it's okay. It's okay. And, uh, and then you've got that going in your head. And that affects, you know what I mean? Little things like that.
1: Yeah, subtle little. Every little social interaction is an action, and we're Mm. trying to remove actions. I don't know why you shouldn't even try. I apologize. uh, uh, I know England is not London. London is the dirtiest city in the world at the worst time, in it's <laughs> not now, but... England is the per, biggest is, in, city in the world. <laughs> yeah, England is a, is, a, is a larger region than that, and I'm sure has many nice places. <laughs> uh, I, I don't want to do the mantra section because I feel like mantra is dealt with better in other places, and I think that people should read this for themselves. I don't need to be comprehensive about it. What do mm-hmm. you think? Yeah, I think that's reasonable. It's one paragraph. Anyway. Although I
0: will I will say that uh, uh, he suggests mantras being introduced. Uh, you can introduce that during Pranayama. And uh, um, personally, I've been finding that it's really effective for Asana. And I don't know if I could do it with Pranayama. I haven't really completely given it a go. But like, trying to keep track of the timing while simultaneously doing a mantra seems a little bit uh, tricky to
1: me. So someone once told me to time my breaths with my heartbeat instead Mm -hmm. of a stopwatch. I still would prefer a stopwatch, but that's possible. And as your system settles, uh, your heartbeat slows down, but it slows down in proportion to how comfortable the breathing is. So eventually you get to a place where it is maybe pretty regular. Um, And then instead of counting, uh, let's say to six, six in three held, three, no, three in, three held, six out or something, you could use uh, the six-syllable mantra, Om Mani Padmi Hum, Om Mani Padmi Hum, Om Mani Padmi Hum, Om Mani Padmi Hum, you know, Mm. so that uh, you you are using the mantra to time the movements of the breath. Um, The way he says to do mantra, though, is really idiosyncratic, and I do not think... While well, it may be a pranayama, I do not think it's uh, it's compatible with this pranayama. <laughs> um, but again, we can deal with that some other time.
0: Fair enough. And we've been going for quite a bit of time, so it seems like a reasonable place to... Uh...
1: Yeah, I, just, I didn't think this was going to be very long because the subject matter in the text is so simple but i was having so much fun talking to you that we just kept
0: yeah well i mean going. that's that's really what i i think is going to come out of these and it seems like every time you're always sort of like you know i don't know how much we're actually going to get out of this but and no then... usually
1: what happens is i go this text is very stressful i don't know what it's about can we please stop <laughs> <laughs> and this time i thought i'll be able to deal with this in 25 minutes <laughs> <laughs> and I think this is the longest
0: one yet. Yeah, <laughs> well, quite possibly. We
1: know, you know, when you know some things I, about a subject, I guess it's easier to approach. Yeah, and I think it is
0: nice that we can bring personal experience to the table rather than just relying entirely on the text in this case mm-hmm. as well. So that's kind of nice.
1: Thank you, Darren. Thank you.
0: 93. 93. Love is the law, love under will. Thanks for listening. Look for Toronto Thilema on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Watch for events in the city. And join us again in the darkly splendid abodes.